0: Welcome to Paper Team, a podcast about television writing and becoming a TV writer. I'm Alex Friedman, AKA TV Calling. And I'm Nick
1: Watson on Twitter, underscore NJ Watson.
0: And today we're gonna give feedback on five of your teasers in our first Paper Teas session of 2020, so let's get started.
1: So first up, just a reminder of what Paper Tease is. If you're unfamiliar, this is where our listeners submit teasers from their TV pilots into us. They can be up to eight pages any TV format, any genre, whatever you like, as long as it is a teaser or a cold open from one of your TV scripts. And you can do that at paperteam.co slash teaser. So if you get those in, maybe we'll be reading yours on the next episode.
0: Today, we start as usual with our two Patreon subscribers, a paper D slot. If you are a Patreon subscriber of ours, you know that we guarantee at least one, if not two slots of this feedback session to you, our subscribers. So First up is It Gets Better by Nathaniel
1: Nowert. All right, so the summary of this one, in a community park at night, high school kids are playing around. One of them, 15-year-old Zach, bikes home, not realizing he's being followed by a dark sedan. Zack crashes after a metallic item hits the bike. A man grabs him and dumps him into his trunk. Zach is then brought out to the middle of nowhere and is face-to-face with the man wearing a motorcycle helmet. The man is unresponsive to Zach's pleas. We then cut to a high school chemistry class during the day with Zach and other kids from the community park. We also meet another student named Carlos. During the class, Zach kicks Carlos' knee, which causes him to crash into glass and bleed out. One of the students urgently goes to the nurse's office to get Simon, the school nurse, who's in the middle of administering medicine to another student. In the chemistry lab, Simon helps Carlos with his wounds and wants to know who pushed him. Carlos only whimpers as Zach glares at him menacingly. We then cut back to the wetlands at night with Zach and the man wearing the motorcycle helmet. The man hits Zach, warning the teenager to leave him alone, revealing he's referring to Carlos. After more physical and verbal threats, the man leaves Zach alone in the middle of the night. As he drives away, the man removes the helmet, revealing it's Simon, the school nurse. He dials 911 to let them know of Zach's whereabouts. What were your thoughts on this, Alex?
0: So personally, I thought it was a little bit busy as a pilot. I think just hearing the whole storyline read just now, I feel like it's kind of like two teasers in one. You've got, on one hand, the story of Zach at night being pursued by this man in a motorcycle helmet. He grabs him, he puts him in his trunk, he dumps him in the middle of nowhere near Vegas. This threat of leave him alone, there's a little bit of tension there. And then separately from that, in the middle of that whole sequence, we then have a flashback sequence of Zach essentially injuring another student. And then you've got a whole like high school thing there with uh, Carlos being injured, then getting the school nurse who is in the middle of another scene with another student and that whole thing. So I just thought it was a little bit busy as a teaser. I'd rather have one clearer thing than two sort of muddled elements.
1: Yeah, I agree. I mean, I think on the page, I enjoyed the read. I think that there was some good stuff in there in terms of the action writing and the way that it kind of carries the story. But like you said, it's just trying to cram a little bit too much story into a teaser. You know, if this was part of the first act or something, I think it would totally work. But focusing in on what is the one thing and the one surprise or grabbing the audience in some way that you're going to put into that teaser. And it's probably, you know, this reveal that it's Simon, who's this vigilante yeah. school nurse who is punishing bullies and whatever and trying to get them to stop what they're doing. But like you said, you can make that more concise and, and focused in on that. And then you can start to get into some of the backstory of Zach has been teasing this kid and whatever later once you get into the script.
0: Yeah, it's kind of a catch trying because as of now, I'm a bit torn on which part of the teaser I would uh, pick the focus on because on one hand, you may instinctively want to go with sort of the more enigmatic, tense, heavy sequence with Zach and the men and that whole thing in the wetlands. But then you lose the reveal of Simon, right? Because if you cut out the flashback of the the high school chemistry class, then you don't really know who Simon is. And maybe that's actually a a gamble worth making of just losing that reveal. And on the flip side, if you focus more on the high school uh, sequence, then you have a little bit more tension there with... Zach as sort of this evil person and you're not quite sure, is this supposed to be our protagonist, this douchebag kid who's just like basically uh, letting this other kid die in the middle of the class? I feel like th- there's a little bit of tension there as well. In my mind, it's more about really helping the reader understand this is what the show is about. Currently, it's hard for me to understand what the show is about. Is it about Zach? Is it about Simon, this vigilante? Is it about Carlos? Maybe Simon and Carlos are tied together. That whole thing is sort of a a little bit nebulous as of now for me.
1: Right, I I had the exact same note when I was thinking about, you know, what would make me want to read on versus not, was I just don't really know yet who we're following and who this story is about. It could be any one of those three people. It could be Zach trying to reform himself. It could be Simon's vigilante antics. It could be Carlos as this victim of bullying. And it could be all three, honestly. It could be an ensemble thing, but right now there isn't quite the information we need to understand that. And as a result of that, you end up, kind of also not understanding what's the conflict and what are the stakes here because we don't know who we're meant to be following.
0: Yeah, I definitely agree. I feel like to, just to go back to the idea of taking one or the other, if we are focusing on Zach when he's being kidnapped, and put in the middle of nowhere with this man, then at that point, I want to heighten the fear in Zach. And that perspective needs to be brought to light. You already have, for example, a shot in the man's trunk at the beginning of the pilot. So why not focus really the whole sequence on Zach's POV? And then maybe we lose the reveal of Simon at the end. And if the whole sequence is just sort of us putting ourselves in the shoes of this like 15-year-old kid being dragged out in the middle of nowhere, not really understanding why he's put there, and then we slowly reveal organically in that sequence without any flashback, but just in that sequence, oh, wait, this is actually a hit or a revenge thing on him hitting another teenage boy like that seems overkill for what this is but I feel like that in of itself is interesting just the fact that oh my god so there's you've got this like menacing guy like grabbing and kidnapping the student and hurting him for injuring another student it's sort of like a boy's like wedge dream of like uh, the,
1: everybody's been bullied wanted that to happen so I feel like you can definitely milk that emotion totally and then maybe you save that reveal later for towards the end of the episode that you know we we're wondering this whole time who is this vigilante who's beating up these bullies and whatever and then we find out it's Simon later whereas if you put all that up front, then it just suggests to me that this is Simon's story, and we're going to be spending the rest of the episode, and indeed the series, following Simon around as he like beats up school bullies or something. You know? So like, I guess it's just like, think about what you're suggesting to the audience this show was going to be and focus in and narrow in on that. Yeah.
0: I, I mean, to your point, I just feel like that to me, that is interesting just to go back to the idea of if it is a Simon show, if it is this like vigilante show, then there's no harm in doing this whole sequence just from almost Zach's POV in the sense, or even the man's POV, either one, but just having this like mini sequence of for three or four pages, we're just going to see the hit or the the revenge sequence that he's going to do on this kid. And then we don't really know why. Maybe at the end of the, the tag or the teaser, we realize, oh, wait, this is actually just because he's being a bully. It's sort of this like revenge thriller on bullies, which I think that in of itself is unique. But just picking that point of view and focusing on that as opposed to sort of distracting us with, oh, but previously on, you've got this thing in the chemistry lab and then you've got this other guy who's uh, administering uh, medicine with this other kid. That sort of muddles the
1: message of what the teaser is. Yeah, I don't think you have that much space or, or pacing in the teaser to cover all of those grounds. So moving on to some more sort of micro elements, I actually wanted to point out a couple of things that I really liked here in the script. One of them was a line on the first page, and they're talking about the wetlands. Uh, and there's this line, you wouldn't have to dig very deep to find a body in there. I really liked that because I thought it was subtle and effective. It kind of speaks to that idea of doing these kind of like unmentionables or whatever unknowables in a good way you're not talking about what they're thinking or whatever but you know you're also not just describing it's black and dark and smelly you know i think it's a, a good little bit of action description there
0: yeah i definitely agree i feel like overall the prose was well executed and well written just to go back to the idea of sort of focusing on the point of view and the perspective i think there's an opportunity there of heightening the tension, especially when it comes to the night sequence with Zach of lessening a bit of the dialogue. And this is obviously a subjective advice, but I I feel like some of the dialogue was a bit one note with Zach specifically. And I, I feel like if you remove that dialogue and really make us sort of see the whole sequence in the shoes of a 15 year old boy, being kidnapped and living in that panic and that fear and you see it in his eyes you see it in the way he behaves he moves the way he sweats or whatever the way he talks i feel like i wanted more of that emotion there that was missing because as of now the the, sort of the piece of dialogues that were present especially when it comes to zach I don't feel were as impactful as they could have been.
1: Right. I mean, there's a sequence that leads us into that when he's in the trunk that is really well-written and helps carry that sense of pacing. You know, it's the one where it's like darkness, the muffled roar of the engine, the tires crunching gravel, sounds of the car driving for a bit, then the motor cuts, silence. Silence clunk. The trunk opens, revealing a starry sky above. Like That's all really good writing, and it's well Mm -hmm. paced with the the white space and stuff. If you carry that same sense of pacing and tension in through the rest of the scene, like you said, and pulling out those bits of perhaps unnecessary dialogue in places, then that will really create an electric kind of teaser.
0: Exactly. And uh, just to finish on that, sort of the micro note side, if you do intend on keeping the back and forth between the timelines, then uh, one big note that I have is just figuring out a way to clearly delineate what is a flashback from what is present day, because as it stands, There's nothing in the slug lines or the prose or the formatting that indicates that, oh, this is actually a flashback to a previous time during the day. It linearly flows from Zach at night being kidnapped to daytime in high school. And you're like, wait, is this the next morning? Like, why are all the kids happy? What's going on? And then when we get back to the nighttime with Zach and we realize, oh wait, this is actually a revenge thing on Carlos, that's when we realized, oh wait, this whole thing was
1: a flashback. So really delineating those two timelines is very important. And one like super finicky, Thing for me is that one of the lines said Zach slams down into a trunk, and then in that moment I wasn't sure if he was talking about a tree trunk or a car trunk. Especially if you know, for us internationals who <laughs> are familiar with other words for for you know car trunks or boots or whatever you want to call them boots. Uh, yeah, in Australia car it's, it's a car boot. A but anyway, I just thought you could say into a car's trunk or a car trunk or whatever, just to be super clear because otherwise, you know might bump the reader and they have to go back and be like, wait, what's happening? Is he being knocked into a tree or is he being put into a car? Just being clear there is good. I think we have probably covered this already, but what makes us want to read on versus not just to summarize?
0: Yeah. I mean, just to go back to what I said initially, my whole thing is I just want to clear a narrative, pick one essentially in the same, in the sense of either we follow the high school trauma or we follow the kidnapping sequence. Personally, the more we talk here, the more I'm drawn to this kidnapping sequence. I feel like it really encapsulates what the show potentially is about, which is sort of this like bully revenge thriller, which is not something I've seen before. So just that in and of itself is really intriguing, but just to tie it back to the reason why I would read on versus not, it's just understanding what the show is about in a clearer way, emotions being brought out. I think there's a lot of potential there. There's, uh, the piece is already present. It's more about sort of focusing
1: the intent in the teaser yeah i definitely agree i think it's the writing is all very well written i just want to know whose story is this whose pov are we watching it through and and as a result what is this entire show going to be about i think we should be able to understand that by the end of the teaser
0: and that brings us to our next teaser which is american roulette by michael hayer and in american roulette we're in jefferson city missouri where a young couple sid and emma walk into a vape store to buy some new flavors. Sid opts for mint while Emma goes for habanero watermelon. They walk outside and upon taking his first puff, Sid spontaneously combusts, turning into a puddle of grease. We cut to the governor of Missouri, Lacey Blight, as she watches security footage of this incident with her staffers confused. She receives a call from Democrat House Majority Leader Jerry Sawyer, who wants to see the footage as well. She then turns on NNN, the national news network, which is a conservative Fox News type channel and watches anchor Jessica Corning
1: going off on liberals.
0: What do you think of American
1: Roulette? So I thought this was a fun setup and an interesting kind of world and space to be in. And it's obviously a very like heightened tone. It has that kind of like Veep element to it with these characters around them you know, there's definitely some funny parts of it. I guess similar kind of criticism to the previous paper tease is just that I don't really know what the story is about yet or even who we're following here. Is it about Emma losing Sid? Is it uh, entirely like a political workplace-based comedy of the governor of Missouri? All that kind of thing, like this thread of these vapors disappearing or whatever it happens to be. I'm not too sure yet how that works into the story and where we go from here.
0: Yeah, definitely had the the same thoughts. It actually reminded me a little bit of Braindead. I don't know if you ever saw the show Braindead on CBS. Uh, no, I don't think so. It's uh by uh, Robert and Michelle King, who did The Good Wife and uh, The Good Fight. It's essentially a satire. I compare it to Mars Attack. It was done in 2016, 2015, uh, pre-election, and it was a satire on American politics. Very kooky, very farcical. And that reminded me a lot of this teaser in the context of I feel like totally I sort of get what the show is trying to do uh, as sort of this like farcical satire about American society and politics. I think there's a lot of potential there. On the execution though, I had trouble understanding sort of like the focal point of what the show was about, especially when we go from this couple uh, vaping to the governor, which I I get the transition there, but then the back half of that sequence is on NNN, the Fox News channel. So then we then go to a third point of view perspective the whole network. I was a bit confused about the through line of what the show is about. Totally, I sort of get what it's trying to do, but execution wise and story wise, I was a little bit lost.
1: Yeah, I agree that there just needed to be a stronger through line there. Like take that people are dying from vaping thing and then immediately kind of like frame it around, you know, they're watching this video but why? And what's the point of that? Like, are they worried that they're going to be losing voters? Are they worried that having to shut down vaping is going to be a bad look for them for a reelection? You know, like, what is at stake here? What is the actual kind of conflict that's happening? Because right now doesn't seem to be a conflict between what just happened with exploding and vaping and then everything else. Even the Democrat governor calling up is just kind of like, I want to watch it too. There's no real conflict between those two characters. And then they're on the news and the news isn't even kind of commenting on maybe the, it could have been that the the vaping video was released to the public and people are in a panic and now that creates a problem which thrusts us into the rest of the thing. It just kind of feels like there are a bunch of unconnected pieces here that could easily be joined up to make a stronger teaser.
0: Right, totally and just to go back to the brain dead of it, I feel like the pieces are there in theory like just the threat of people vaping and exploding kind of reminded me in Braindead The the show is essentially about a comet full of alien insects crashing in Washington DC and then they're infecting people's brains and that makes them even more extreme on their like sort of a political spectrum. Some people are very far left, some people are far right, and sort of like exacerbates those behaviors. It's very farcical in that capacity. And I feel like you do have that aspect where you've got Sid combusting. I feel like that's very funny and innovative. But that's why I wanted more uh, out of the sequence, for example, where you can sort of like heighten the fact that oh he pops out of existence and we really hone down on that fact because as of now it's sort of like a blanket and you'll miss it moment or line in the script when it's clearly a big moment. And conversely, if you use that as a, a launching pad for the way the governor reacts or like sort of the, the other staffers are acting to really heighten the threat, like Nick said, and really focus on what the show is really gonna
1: be about moving forward. In terms of what it did well, I really did love the tone. Like you were saying, Alex, there's a couple of great lines in there where they're talking about small business owners. They're like, you know, small business owner is the backbone of the USA. And like both of the politicians raise their hands in a salute and say, hallelujah. And, you know, they mentioned him again. Like, like, small business owner, the, the artery by which commerce flows, hallowed be its name. I thought that those little kind of asides were, were really funny and helped lend very much so to the tone and the of the world and the sense of the comedy. So, you yeah, know, like that kind of stuff helped me see, like you said, what the show is and what it's like. We just needed a, a stronger focus on the story, I think. I definitely agree. And uh, on that note, what makes us want to read done versus not? I think just kind of knowing what's going to happen next from here. You know, I think you could have a stronger beat or button on the very end of the teaser. Right now, they just kind of turn and watch the news. And it's just sort of a generic joke. It's just like, here's our version of Fox News and here's what they're saying about liberals. It's amusing, but it doesn't directly button up what just happened in the teaser and it doesn't push us through to the next thing. So I think you could take a look at that. And also just understanding what this vaping issue means for these characters, what is at stake and what is the conflict here.
0: Yeah, I definitely agree. Just the teaser, I feel like the hour out. Can be a little bit more story driven. I think that is your opportunity to bring up the stakes, like we said, the threat of the episode, the threat of the show, what uh, that means for the governor, what that means for uh, presumably the leads of the series. The tone, I think, is there. I think that's probably my biggest compliment is uh, just me bring back a uh, brain dead. I think that's to me that's a compliment towards uh, this teaser, just the fact that I was thinking of that show and uh, the satire. I think works on some level, but now it's about really heightening the plot element and the the story and really the drive forward and uh, the narrative momentum. And I feel like if you land that teaser on that level, then you definitely have something here.
1: Thank you to Nathaniel and Michael for submitting those as our Patreon supporters. And if you want to get in on these exclusive Patreon slots for the paper teas, you can do that at paperteam.co slash Patreon, and you'll be guaranteed that, you know, we will be selecting one or even two teasers just from that select pool of Patreon supporters every time we do this. And next up, we have reissued by Adam Morder.
0: And then reissued, Ethan plays on stage with his band, Roasted Blonde, at a small musical venue in New York. At the end of their set, the crowd demands to hear their big hit, Cancel Plans, only to get an experimental B-side. And uh, the crowd then boos the band off stage. Ethan later commiserates with the bartender, Mona, about the music business before realizing that she's actually Mona McLeod, the lead singer of the 70s band Salisbury Fair. Ethan says they might need a new lead singer and puts Mona's music on the jukebox despite her protests. And then she hurls a bottle of vodka at the jukebox and gets fired by her manager for it. She looks at Ethan and says she's his problem now. Where to next? What did you
1: think of reissued? I thought this was a lot of fun on the page, I thought it was quite strong, descriptive writing and visual imagery, particularly when you're looking at them up on stage playing music. I think it painted a really good picture of that and bringing us into it. And I think it was also sort of an interesting hook is that, oh, wow, this band might link up with this kind of like famous disappeared 70s singer. And, you know, where could that go from here? So yeah, I thought this was interesting.
0: Yeah, definitely agree. It was a pretty fun, uh, a nice hook to the show. My big thing is I felt there was a bit uh, exposition heavy in the dialogue. And there was a, a bit of a lack of emotion in the dialogue and the way the characters behave, especially Mona. In my mind, she didn't really feel like a fully fleshed person as much as sort of the, the setup to the story uh, because she goes from saying, oh, I'm not Munda McLeod to that band cost me everything. Ah, to, well, looks like I'm your problem now within the span of a couple of sentences. So just taking your time to lead us through those emotional beats and her character turning around so fast, I feel like that's probably my biggest bump. I just want uh, a little bit
1: more room to breathe in that capacity. Yeah, I had the same thought. You know, suddenly switching from not wanting to have anything to do with this to suddenly like, yeah, let's let's go. I'm okay with you guys now. You know, it doesn't feel true to the character's emotions or the the through line of what happened there. And also, second, what you're saying about the exposition is having lines like, "No one's seen Mona since the band fired her in 1979 after she drop kicked that police horse." Like, I get it. I know it's a setup for a joke, and it is funny. But is that really something that a character would say or just recall off the top of their head? It's it's a lot of information that you can like you can see the wheels turning uh, as you're trying to sort of feed stuff to the audience. And we want to try and make that a little bit more subtle and nuanced. Absolutely. Yeah. I feel like that that's
0: probably my biggest uh, note is I feel like those are the opportunities you have to use those moments, not just as a joke or exposition, but really to emphasize character, which I know is sort of the ultimate balancing act uh, with comedy. But in this case, I feel like you do have the real estate to bring a little bit more emotion to the scene, especially from the context where Mona is a bartender. She, I, I don't know what happened exactly with her band, but clearly she's in a place emotionally where she doesn't want to have anything to do with music. So what is that turnaround in that scene that makes her want to go back to uh, music and Ethan? Obviously, it's kind of funny that, oh, uh, just she, because she got fired, immediately she goes back to music.
1: But I, I feel like you're missing the emotional beat of who Mona is as a character in that moment. Yeah, and I think the story can help sort of support that through line, first and foremost, by heightening the situation that Ethan finds himself in. Like he mentions just casually, oh, we might need a new lead singer, but what you could actually do is after they get booed off the stage, we could see the lead singer quit and we could see, you know, that he's found himself in a real predicament and just sort of really ramp up all that stuff to the point where now it makes sense that like he literally does need a new lead singer and they have a gig next week or tomorrow night or something important, you know, what is at stake here? And then for Mona you know, give us that little hint of something as to like, why she might come around to these people. What is it about Ethan and this band that suddenly is endearing to her? Is it the fact that he knows so much about her music, or he knows that she wrote this one particular song that was the best? What is that one thing that he dropped? And she's like, wait a minute, you know that? Or, you know, what is this kind of like, moment where she clicks and is like, maybe you're not so bad.
0: Absolutely. And I I would actually pitch uh, to your point that the band leader or the band actually goes to Mona and asks her, as opposed to her being in a position where the drop of a dime, she just goes, okay, now I'm yours. Because I feel like, She may not be emotionally at the place where she wants to join them, but just heightening the fact that maybe this moment in time, she's forced to join them and they're the ones coming to her being like, we really need a band leader right now. Do you think you can do it? And she's like, I don't know if I really can or
1: want, but temporarily she accepts because she gets fired or what have you. Maybe she's completely broke and she's not going to pay rent and this is a way for, you know, whatever happens.
0: It's the classic thing of sort of the refusal of the call of the hero. And then the hero ultimately accepts the call to adventure. I feel like you do have that moment in the teaser that can bring that to the forefront. And uh, on that note, what makes us want to read
1: on versus not? It's good writing and it's a tight teaser. Uh, So I think that there's a lot there that's already working for it. I think it really is just heightening the situation, putting them in more of a predicament, both for Ethan and for Mona, to the point where it makes sense emotionally for them to be joining up by the end of it. And then just giving us some sort of thing at the end where, you know, we need to see what happens next. Like, what is the thing that's going to push us through into the rest of the story? It's a fairly close-ended beat right now where it's just like she's fired and like hey what are we doing next you know i want to see that hint of what they are doing next yeah absolutely i feel
0: like that's my big thing is just emotionally heightening what the characters want and need and specifically mona sort of seeing and tracking her emotional journey in that scene i don't think you need to complete that beat actually i think even leaving it open-ended where she's at a place where she gets fired or she needs the money and then they come to her for example and they're like are you in And then we stay on her as she decides off of Mona figuring out whatever cut to credits. And you can leave that moment open where, and you can even play it as a joke. I don't know what you want to do with it, but at least emotionally on a narrative level and on a character
1: level, I need to understand why she's acting the way she's acting. Right. Maybe she gets fired and they're like, sorry, can we take you for a drink? And they end up at karaoke or something and they're jamming out to a song they're like, Hey, we are pretty good together. What do you think? And you know, like you said, you leave it on that. Will she, won't she kind of moment. And then I'm like, I need to know whether she's going to say yes.
0: And on that note, if you are also at a, a crossroad or if there's something stopping stopping you from achieving your goals or being happy, well, BetterHelp Online Counseling is there for you. They have licensed professional counselors who specialize in everything from depression to stress and anxiety to relationships and even issues sleeping. BetterHelp is conveniently available worldwide via text, chat, chat, phone, and video so you can find help in your own time, at your own pace, in a way that is comfortable for you. Anything you share is obviously confidential and secure, and best of all, it is affordable. I see a therapist regularly for my anxiety,
1: and it's improved my quality of life substantially.
0: So when you sign up for BetterHelp as a Paper Team listener, you will get 10% off your first month with the discount code PAPERTEAM. That's all caps, all one word, PAPERTEAM. So why not get started today? Go to betterhelp.com slash PAPERTEAM. Simply fill out a questionnaire to help assess your needs and get matched with a counselor you will love. And if you're not happy with your counselor, you can request a new one at any time for no additional charge. Again, that
1: is betterhelp.com slash paper team. And let's get back to our paper teases. And the next one is Chrysalis by Dan Benamore. In 1988, Henry walks down the hallway of someone else's home. In the kitchen, the owner of the house, Jonathan, is fixing himself a midnight snack. Henry attacks Jonathan in the kitchen with an ice pick. After a brief struggle, Henry successfully kills Jonathan. As he lowers Jonathan's body to the floor, he notices a six-year-old kid watching him in the entrance of the kitchen. The kid is frozen in place. Henry dials 911 on the house phone to let them know of the murder before walking away from the house. What were your thoughts on Chrysalis?
0: I thought it was short and effective. I thought the sort of the sequence between Jonathan and Henry was well executed on the page. It was well written. My one big thing is just, even though the action set piece is really interesting and really well done, There's just no context and no story or understanding of why it happened and where this leads us. As it stands, it's a cool sort of moment, but it doesn't really give me any idea of what the show really is about or who any of
1: these characters are. Yeah, I agree. I wrote the same thing. Very short and effective, but I think it could have done more. You know, what is that turn? What is that moment? That little thing that makes us go, wait, what? You know, perhaps it's the calling 911 thing because it's a little bit against expectation if we think he's a cold-blooded murderer, but I just needed a little extra punch at the end. You know, maybe it's he walks outside, he takes off his mask, and he calls his daughter to say he'll be there for her birthday party soon. And, you know, something to show another side or an angle to all of this and why it happened that intrigues us.
0: Yeah, I definitely had the exact same note again about that reveal at the end that makes us understand, oh, this is what the show is really about. Maybe it's about, oh, we now understand why he killed this guy, or who Henry is, or maybe some element of motive. Or if this is some kind of character study, then maybe we can even emphasize the kid's reaction. Maybe this whole thing is just a flashback about uh, the kid when he grows up and the, this whole show is uh, sort of another revenge thing. And so in that case, I want a little bit more emotion in that capacity. I want to really land on the kid, not Henry. But if it is about Henry, or in fact, uh, even if it
1: isn't, I just want a bit more story on that level that is currently missing. Yeah, to put it into kind of comedy terms, you have the setup here, but there's no punchline. It's sort of like, here's the situation, and it's still the same situation by the end of it. I think we need that little thing that shifts it and makes it a complete you know, sense of story rather than just a piece of plot.
0: Yeah, and to that idea, I feel like it is heavily hinted in the teaser that Henry knows the house or has been there before. I know in the moment where he's dialing 911, there's a line that says, Henry steps over to the house phone. There's no searching for it, Henry clearly knew where it was. So that's a little bit of a hint. at There's something going on here where maybe Henry knows Jonathan beforehand. There's something there. So just giving us the audience an idea of what the show is really about in that capacity and the, the
1: final turn would really push the story forward in a big way. Right. Like, did Henry used to live here and he's trying to murder the person who bought the house so he can get it back or something? You know, whatever it is, like, hint a little bit more towards that or or give an angle on why this might have happened or just something like that that uh, kind of puts that little cherry on top.
0: Yeah. uh, My other, so this is uh, maybe a micro note based on the phrasing of it. Uh, A couple of things. One is I wanted a bit more emotion. And I know, obviously, with the context of Henry being a cold-blooded killer that is still done on purpose. I just wanted something a little bit more in terms of, especially the kid, that moment between Henry and the kid, the kid being frozen in place, seeing his dead dad. I think you've got a lot there to really heighten the emotion. The other thing I wanted to mention on the micro side is some of the beat's, while well executed on the page, I thought could be rewarded slightly to really land the punch of those actions. So for example, on the first page, it says, when he opens them, Henry's already in the room, precisely, Henry steps forward, grabs Jonathan, blah, blah, blah. Just as purposefully, Henry grips Jonathan. I feel like if you flip those around where you front load, Henry steps forward, as opposed to precisely, Henry steps forward. And conversely, the other thing is, Henry grips Jonathan, just as purposefully, as opposed to just as purposefully, Henry grips Jonathan. I feel those are small tweaks. Again, this is like a micro note, but some of the effective beats are a bit marred by the word choices or the phrasing of those action
1: beats. Yeah, I actually bumped on that same line you know i understand how someone can precisely or purposefully jam an ice pick in someone's neck and that suggests something about it but like can you accidentally grab someone in a bear hug or do it in like a laissez-faire kind of way i don't think you know purposeful is a a strong adjective for a bear hug i think you could offer something else about that so maybe just looking at those little moments where like you said you could rephrase things in that kind of way i slipped on the banana and then i just like landed in your bear hug i very purposefully (laughs) slipped on the banana yeah so another little thing just again a micro it tells us that this is in 19 Eighty-eight with a super, but that never comes into play. Uh, I don't even think we really see anything in the description that reflects this, whether it's you know the the styling of the house or the you know the technology or whatever it happens to be. I, I might have missed something.
0: Yeah, I would yeah. say my big thing
1: is just the house phone. I would say indicates that it is a pure piece. <laughs> hey, I had a house phone up until like the early two thousands. Yikes! <laughs> <laughs> Actually, I, I, my parents do have a house phone, but in my mind, the house phone really indicated the fact that it was a pure piece. Sure, I mean that's fine, but I'm just saying if you. Going to put an entire super on the thing that says it's 1988. There needs to be a reason for that. Are we going to cut back to present day? Is it all set in 1988? I think that a lot of the time you only really want to put that in when it's somehow relevant immediately.
0: Yeah, I mean this goes back to what I said earlier about in my mind the reason why it's a flashback is because the this is either setting up a revenge story or it's something about the kid. But if it is a pure piece through and through, then to your point, I'd rather emphasize a lot more elements relating to the fact that it is a. moment. Why is this 1988? Why not 1995 or 2000? And maybe it's going to come clearer later in the pilot, but in the
1: teaser, we really need to understand a lot more of why it's in 1988. Yeah. I think for me, like telling us the year is a bit of a Chekhov's gun device where it's like, you need to then do something with that. Otherwise you could save it for act one or whatever. So uh, what would make us want to read on versus not?
0: Well, for me, it really comes down to understanding why any of this is happening. It's sort of like the why here, why now? It's a cool action sequence. It's a cool struggle between Jonathan and Henry with a kid. I think there's a lot there in only a couple of pages. It's well executed. But uh, as a teaser, on a narrative level, I just don't understand what it is. I'm missing that turn, that final moment, whether it's in the last uh, scene or the last line or the last moment in the teaser that makes us lean forward and go, oh my God, this isn't just something I've seen before,
1: it's something more. Absolutely. I think there's a big missed opportunity with the last scene there. It just says Exterior Reigns his home, night, Henry walks away from the reigns home, end of teaser. I think that you need to throw something else on the end of that. You know, who walks away from the reigns home and does what? That's your story. You know, like where is this leading us? Where does the story go from here? And why are we interested in this character who just murdered a guy? I think if you start to address some of those questions, obviously, you know, in a subtle way, we will be much more interested in finding out the rest of the story.
0: I agree. And the alt for me would be if it is a character piece, if it is a base on emotion, if it is something about the revenge thriller with the kid or something to do with that character, then I would want to end on the kid. Specifically, I feel like if you do end on the kid that witnessed the dad's murder, I feel like you've got a lot of emotional juice there that you're just not using in that teaser. Uh, Because as it stands, it's just like Henry calling 911, and then he turns and uh, walks away. Even that whole scene, before the final scene, we don't even out on the kid. We just sort of out on Henry sliding the glass door and leaving. So the fact that you've introduced the kid witnessing the dad's murder, in my mind, that's uh, another missed opportunity there emotionally that you can really use in that teaser. And our last paper tease for this month is called Candy is Awesome by Steve Kimura. And in Candy is Awesome, a boy band performs at a concert venue. Afterwards, backstage in the dressing room, their manager Allison announces that their album passed 500,000 and went gold. The band members celebrate, but one of them gets handsy with an unwilling groupie and Allison pulls him off of her. He takes a swing at Allison, and she punches him in the gut. He says she's fired, but she points out that the fans have videoed the whole incident, telling him that he has done. She leaves and is approached by another man, John, who reveals he is from the CIA, and thinks he could put her skills to use. He then gives her his card. What do you think of Candy is Awesome?
1: So I think this is a a very interesting sort of concept. I really want to know what a former boy band manager will be doing in the cia i think that you know if you pitch that to someone as an elevator pitch they're going to instantly be intrigued i think with this one there was some execution that could have been uh, a little bit stronger to to help kind of funnel into that concept for example even just at the very start we open on this boy band you know i would have liked the the writer to lean more into that moment and in this the scenes and the action a little bit more if you want to hook people in your teaser you know the so the opening is, a boy band is doing a song complete with intricate choreography. Crowd is dancing along. The concert ends. You know, I think here is your opportunity to talk about the heat of the lights, the screams of the crowd, the thump of the music, the looks on the fans' faces, the kinds of dance moves they're doing. Give us that emotion and that feel and that experience of being there, you know, in a concise way, rather than just sort of the spark notes, because that's an important kind of moment to set the tone and the show.
0: Even on the, on the macro side, when you pitch the idea of this is a band manager, a band producer who is being turned as a CIA operative. Even though that's intriguing, my big question is why her? Like, Why is the skill of being a band manager? Have, what, what does that have to do with uh, being in the CIA? And I don't think the teaser really answers that question. We even gives or beginning of an answer because we go from a music producer uh, essentially stopping sexual assault from the band leader to her being recruited by the deputy director of the CIA in the next scene. And so I feel like there's a lack of natural progression in that capacity that to me didn't really make sense. Uh, I like the idea, the concept is really intriguing. Uh, Again, it's sort of like the alias of it, where you got this uh, sort of the Sydney Bristow character who's being hired. And alias, we actually got to see how clever and physical and sort of on the ball uh, Sydney is. But what is Allison's version of the skills? Because I don't think uh, calling out a pervy singer in the green room is really what makes a a good uh, CIA operative necessarily. Uh, But you do have that opportunity in that sequence with the concert with the green room, something that she does that attracts the John, the CIA deputy director to uh, want her as a CIA operative. I feel like those are the elements that's missing for me in the teaser.
1: Yeah, absolutely. And I think that, you know, you have the opportunity there if you do make more of the boy-man scene and and if this is a comedy, which it appears to be, then, you know, you put jokes in there as well of fun little things happening of their dance moves and what the fans are doing. But then you also have that opportunity to show Allison walking around the perimeter with her headset on, you know, interfacing with people managing things like what is it that the CIA likes about her like you said and then show her doing that really effectively so I think that you know just really uh, what's the the mixed metaphor you always use like juice more milk out of it You're milking the juice uh, <laughs> you milk the juice out of it uh, <laughs> that'll be good um, do you have any uh, micro notes on this I have a uh, couple I have micro notes that I'm gonna put into my major
0: notes mm. and I feel like we might share the same ones I just have major formatting issues I right uh, I feel like the big thing is the slug lines are not properly formatted at all. There's not that many slug lines and I think both of them are not uh, well-written because uh, the first one says open on interior concert venue, but that's all as a slug line uh, as opposed to separating the so the opening from the slug line and then the second one says exterior back of a venue Allison is uh, exiting blah blah but the exterior back of a, a venue is not its own slug line it's sort of like blended in with the
1: description uh, which is very confusing yeah exactly that's honestly it's not one of those things that there is the freedom to play with so much like the formatting in screenplays is needs to be pretty standard because that's for production for people to be able to see this is a new scene uh the ads can break it down and see who are the characters in this scene where do we need to shoot these locations like you can't really mess with that so much so you know make sure that you are doing separate interior or exterior dash location dash time in its own line to set up those scenes and another thing is that there were colons after the character names and dialogue you don't need that and that's more of a play thing i think like a stage play thing so uh, all you need is the character name and then move down to the the dialogue Also, just sort of at the end, the script kind of just ends abruptly. There's no line that says, you know, you say teaser at the top, you don't put end of teaser down the bottom or fade out or anything like that. So it kind of seems like it just stopped writing and it's unfinished.
0: Yeah, all that is uh, also to help with the read, essentially, because if you don't have clear slug lines, then in the reader's mind, it's really hard to delineate sort of uh, what is happening where, especially When you hide the slug line in the middle of description, when you change from interior to exterior, that's a huge shift right? So I need to understand very clearly, okay, we started from this place, and now we're in this other place. It also helps here to differentiate the two, because on one hand, you have the green room with uh, Allison and the singer, and the next scene is with Allison and the CIA director. So we really need to understand, oh, this is actually a completely separate sequence from this other thing.
1: Yeah. And there was uh, also sort of a timeline note, like on the previous teaser, there's a super that says two years ago at the start, which to me suggests that you then need to be cutting to present Day by the end of this teaser. Otherwise, you don't need to put two years ago in there. You could just say nothing. And then in act one, you can put up a two years later super instead. Or, you know, so you just have to make use of that. If you're bothering to put it in reference to uh, uh, another time, then we need to pay that off in some way. And what makes us want to read Don versus not? I mean, again, I think it's a really interesting idea, and I'm curious to see where it goes next just on that alone. Like, how is this woman going to be useful to the CIA? But I think the execution just needs to be a little bit stronger in the ways that we mentioned, because we want to be sold that we want to keep reading this for 30 pages, so we need to have clear headings. We need to lean into the moments of the scene that pulls us along outside of just the concept. Like we said, even just having that correct formatting would make it a lot easier to want to read on.
0: Yeah, for me, it's, first of all, the formatting, uh, I think that's a big thing. But the, the bigger thing in my mind is just understanding what the show is about and specifically, why is Allison the one that the CIA wants to recruit? And I feel like the teaser should be the place where you're front-loading that in that scene, especially because presumably, If you have a super that says two years ago, that means the show is going to be about Alison present day being a CIA operative. This is sort of like her origin story. The end of the teaser is basically Nick Fury being like, have you heard of the Avenger initiative? So in those first couple of pages, we really need to understand why Nick Fury goes to Iron Man. Hey, you're a superhero. You're a super awesome person. We need you on our team. In the same way that on Alias, we really understood very clearly from the beginning why Sidney Bristow was the person that SD6 hired and trained. And that's the opportunity in the teaser
1: to really heighten those elements in those first few pages. Yeah, and look, you don't need to have the deputy CIA director say outright, we want you for the CIA because you're really good at managing people and solving situations, you know, that would be kind of the cheat way out. Like we said before, all you need to do is just show us Allison doing these things that we can then put together in our heads. Of course she would be good in the CIA or, you know, Oh, I guess I could see how they might use that.
0: Yeah. And you can even be a little bit more subtle where, I mean, the bad pitch is after firing uh, the the leader and then dealing with that, she goes into her locker room and uh, there's a card with the CIA logo on it. And then, and that way you don't, you sort of uh, shorthand the fact that the CIA wants her. I feel like there's ways of doing it. It's a little bit more evocative than just uh, the CIA operative coming to her being like, hey, I want you on my team. Just because it's a scene that we've all seen before. So I feel like there's ways
1: of doing it a little bit more uh, fresh. Yeah, maybe it's like, We want you on our team. Also, can you have Jason sign this for my daughter? You know, like, so we put some jokes in there and some punches too. So you can have fun with it. Well, that brings us to the end of our teasers for this month. And so don't forget, you can submit yours at paperteam.co slash teaser uh, to be in the running to have them read out and receive feedback on air. So uh, please check that out. And like we did last season, we are planning on doing something special with one of the overall, you know, sort of winners of the paper tease thing. We're still figuring out the details on exactly what that will be, but just know that you're in the running for even more good stuff if you submit. That's right. And
0: on that note, don't forget that we are also on Patreon. So if you enjoy this episode, please consider supporting Paper Team via our Patreon page at paperteam.co slash Patreon. That's P-A-T-R-E-O-N. You'll get access to our Paper Patreon podcast cheat sheets. And as we said earlier in this podcast, there's a dedicated Paper tea slot just for our Patreon supporters. So get on that at paperteam.co slash Patreon, and we can keep producing a great great show for you every week thanks to our Patreon subscribers so thanks to our listeners for
1: taking the time to tune in
0: you can get all the show notes and teasers for this episode at paperteam.co slash 169 as always I'm on Twitter at TV Calling. I'm at underscore NJ Watson if you have any thoughts feedback ideas for future episode, you can always send them to ask at paperteam.co and next week we will be off for President's Day but we will be back on Monday February 24th with our regular paper scraps monthly little showdown where we answer your your TV running questions and tackle some of the latest TV running news. All right, we'll, we'll see you then. In the meantime, send in those teasers. See you then.